Well, good morning. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, right? You know what's coming, don't you? Let's try that again. Good morning. We hope you're glad that you're here today. I want to encourage you to do something real quick. And every one of your worship photos this morning, you received a welcome card. I'm going to ask you to keep that close to you today. And here's why. At the end of the service today, I'm going to challenge, especially for those of you that are believers in the room, I've got three specific challenges I want to give you today in light of the passage we're going to look at. And I would love for you, if you would take that challenge, just put your name on the front, write your commitment you're making on the back. And then this week, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to join with you and pray that God would help you keep one of those three challenges. Also, if you're here and you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, and because of the topic we're going to talk about today, at the very end, you may feel this great prompting of the Holy Spirit to trust Him today. And we would love to know that because on the, you can fill out the card and on the very back it says, today I've given my life to Christ. So please keep that handy. We'll be back to that at the very end of the message. Now today, we are beginning a brand new sermon series called Endgame. And Endgame is, uh, is, you know, I know it's kind of a playoff of uh, the Avengers and stuff like that, but the Endgame is really, a, a, the whole series revolves around the idea of the end times. Now, the one thing about end times I think we all would agree, we live in a culture that is infatuated with the end times, don't we? Amen? Okay, you all got to wake up this morning. You ready? Amen? We are infatuated. In fact, example, several years ago, there was a movie that came out. It was a Christian movie many, many, many years ago, maybe as much as two decades ago, that tried to address the end times. Do you remember the name of the movie? Left Behind. That's exactly right. Then they, then they thought we're going to make it better, and we're going to have Nicolas Cage in it, and it was worse, right? And so there was this really intrigue among the Christian world about Left Behind, and all these questions arose. But I would say the question of end times is not just as much within the church, but it's also within the culture we live in. Let me give an example. Uh, you know, in the culture we live in, there are movies made all the time that have an end time scenario or an apocalyptic, means, which means unveiling or revealing scenario. And let me just give you some kind of stats on that. Before 1950, there were only three movies made that had apocalyptic nature to it. End times nature. That, that movie would have been the end of the world. That was, I guess, an appropriate movie. From 1950 to 1960, there were 11 movies made about end times and the apocalyptic nature of things. One example would be War of the Worlds. Then from 1960 to 1970, there were 19 movies made. Planet of the Apes being one of those. Anybody ever seen that one? Yeah, that would be one of those. And then from 1970 to 1980, there were 40 movies made with apocalyptic nature. And the worst movie of all those would be Mad Max. You may remember that one. And then in 1980 to 1990, 44 movies made with apocalyptic nature. And Terminator leading the charts on all of those, right? Because he'll be back, right? 1990 to 2000, we dropped, which was interesting, uh, there was only 38 movies made. I guess it was because everybody's freaked out about Y2K, and so we were scared to talk about it, right? But in, in, that, in, that, in that decade, you see Matrix, you see the movie Armageddon, all those movies. From 2000 to 2010, there are 65 movies made with end-time scenarios and apocalyptic nature. Now get this, and I Am Legend being one of those, which, by the way, is the number one all-time apocalyptic movie rated, I Am Legend. From 2010... To project 2020 next year, guess how many movies will be made? Over 200 movies dealing with apocalyptic message. End time scenario. Now here's the thing about it. 
in the church we've talked about it. The world is obsessed with end times. I mean, and this is, listen, this is not even the TV shows. Like some of you are like, well, what about the fear of the walking dead? Or the, okay, this is not even talking about that stuff. I mean, it's not talking about the zombie apocalypse. I mean, this is just things that the movies, that Hollywood has produced in movies that's obsessed with end times. But here's the truth of all of us too, I think. All of us, if we were honest, would say, I have some curiosity too. I have some curiosity as I think about the end of the world. I mean, let's just think about it. We don't typically wake up every day and go, is today going to be the end? But when we think about the end, isn't there a level of curiosity that we all have going, how's this thing going to go down? Right? Anybody else curious besides me? So here's the thing I want you to do with me, okay? I want you to hear my heart before we get into the passage, because we got a lot of ground to cover today. Here's my heart. As we go through this in-game series, we're going to get into some, some pretty good muddy moments, for the next four weeks. And we're going to get out of those muddy moments and there are going to be some things we're going to talk about and you're going to have questions. But let me just, let me hear me on this. My goal is threefold. Here's the first goal. I want us to have a bit of literacy when it comes to end time terminology. In the theological world, it's called eschatology, the study of the end times. And I want us to have a little bit of literacy when it comes to apocalyptic nature. Here's why. Because one third of this book, one third is apocalyptic in nature. One third. And so we need to have some literacy to it. Number two, my second goal is this, is that I want us to be able to take what is manageable among the mysterious. Can we be honest and say today that we don't know everything about the end? Can we be honest and say that? I don't know everything, you don't know everything. And here's what I mean by that. We have got to stray from terminology because when things haven't happened like the end times, are going to heaven, those kind of things. You hear it all the time, people say, well, I just believe, or I just think, or I just feel. Kill all of that. Because if it's not, if it's not actually confirmed with scripture, put those things aside. Because we can't stand and speculate and go, well, I just feel this way, or I just believe that, or I just think that. If it's not based in scripture, walk away from it. Are you with me on that? So we're going to look at what is manageable among what is mysterious. And then here's the third my favorite go, is I just want us to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus as we go through this. Because one day our suffering servant is not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming as a righteous king. And he's coming to bring the saints home and to redeem the world and to make things new. And that's going to be a glorious moment, all right? So that's my go. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24 is where we're going to be. And I'm not, instead of reading the whole passage, we're just going to kind of walk through verse by verse and look at some things that he talks about. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through 3, say this. Jesus left the temple. Now, Paul's right there. Remember, for the last several weeks, we've been in the temple, right? Jesus cleansed the temple. Jesus left the temple. Jesus came back to the temple. Jesus taught the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Remember the last time we talked? I mean, he did all this stuff. And so the day's over with now. It's, it's Wednesday's over, and he's leaving the temple now. And look what it says. And when he left the temple, he was going away. When his disciples came to him, point out to him the building of the temple. But he answered them, you shall see all these. Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. Now let's pause there for a minute. Because they're leaving the temple. They're leaving this moment where Jesus has been teaching. And let's be honest, he's really been chastising the religious leaders because what they thought was right, he says is wrong, and he's correcting them. And there's this unbelievable tension. And the religious leaders have one go, killing. That's it. They want to kill him. And so as they're leaving the temple, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, do you see how beautiful this temple is? 
And Jesus says, great, but I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day and it's going to be destroyed. There's going to come a day that not one stone will be on top of another stone. Now, here's why this is important before we get into what Jesus is going to talk about next is because when you think about the temple, just, just a bit of history here, the temple was the place for the Jewish people to do worship. And in the Old Testament, there was a southern kingdom. There was two kingdoms of Israel. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah, where Jerusalem was. And eventually, the people of God rebelled against God, and the Syrians came in and destroyed the northern kingdom. And then the southern kingdom was all that was left. And this prophet Jeremiah came around and said, hey, listen, if you don't start following God, the same thing's going to happen to us. There's another foe from the north, which he was talking about Babylonians. And if we don't repent, they're coming. Well, guess what? Israel didn't repent. And guess who came? The Babylonians. And they destroyed them. And they ransacked the temple. And they took everybody out. And they were in captivity for 483 years in Babylon. And at the end of that time frame, a guy by the name of Ezra and Zerubbabel, try to name your kid that one, right? <laughs> Began their way back to Jerusalem. And a guy by the name of Nehemiah said, I, I've got a vision. I've got to build these walls. Well, it was Ezra and Zerubbabel that were instrumental in rebuilding the temple while Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. And so now they had a place of worship, but something drastically happened in the 400 years between the Old and New Testament, right as the birth of Jesus happens, is there's this King Herod. And the great King Herod decided that while this temple is beautiful, I need to make it more beautiful. And so he added on to the temple. And now this temple that was to form now is almost 500 yards long and 400 yards wide. And what he added was knowing the width and the length, he added ordinateness to it. So he added gold everywhere. So not only was this temple like the place of worship, it was massive and it was beautifully ornate. And the disciples are going, Jesus, do you see how beautiful this temple is? And Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple and says, there's a day coming. It's not going to be standing like you see today. You know, Josephus in his book or his writings, the antiquity said that King Herod took 10,000 men all the time for eight solid years to expand and to add to the temple. 10,000 men, eight years nonstop working to build and make the temple what it was. And Jesus said one day, it's coming down. Now, here's what we all know. Almost 40 years after Jesus made this prediction, in 70 AD, the temple came tumbling down. The Romans got into the temple, and there was, a, according to Josephus, a drunk Roman, which is not hard to imagine, a drunk Roman lit the temple on fire, and all the gold began to melt, and it began to seep down through all the stones that made this building up. And the Romans weren't happy that they were going to lose the gold. So guess what they told the people to do? Tear this temple down stone by stone to grab the gold. You say, Doug, what in the world does that have to do with today? Here's what it has to do. Jesus made a prediction and it happened. Are you with me on that? Jesus said it's coming and it came. So what he's about to say, I don't want you to sit there and kind of discount it and go, well, is it really going to happen? Is it really not going to happen? Listen, there's some things that Jesus is going to say that we can see right now. There's a moment in my life and a moment in your life when we look at Scripture going, is how much longer can the Lord wait? How much longer can the Lord tarry? It is just that bad. And you're like, I don't think the world's that bad. Wait till we're done. But today, and you'll be like, yeah, it's kind of bad, Doc. Right? So listen to what Jesus says next here. He talks about the temple, and he said, this is what's going to happen. And then he begins to talk about the signs of the end. Look with me in verse 3. He says this. 
As he sat on Mount Olives, the disciples came up to him privately saying, tell us what will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? In other words, tell us about the temple that you just talked about, which I told you about. And they said, tell us about the sign of the end. And what I want to give you today, Jesus gave them six signs that the end was soon. And here's the first sign, deception. The first sign would be deception. Look with me in verse 4 and 5. And Jesus answered them and he said this, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. He said, listen, don't you be led astray. That's interesting here. Did you notice that Jesus did not say the world is going to be led astray? He doesn't say that. Who's the one? Let's go back to verse 4 and 5 if we could there. He says, see that no one leads who astray. Let's go to verse 5 if we could. There we go. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Well, who's the one they're talking about leading astray? Is it the world or is it you? It's you. Now, the word you has some ambiguity to it. Because on one hand, Jesus is telling his disciples in real time, don't you be led astray. Because, and we all know the story, there's a point where Jesus is going to leave them. There's a point where the shepherd is struck and the sheep scattered. And he's telling them, don't you be led astray. But also, he's not just talking about the present. He's talking about what? The future. He's talking about the end times. So the you here is also a reference to those that are believers in the end times. Don't let them be led astray. Why? Because there's some that are going to come and they're going to try to lead you astray. And they're going to come and they're going to say that I am the Christ. Meaning they're going to be those who are antichrists, plural. Now you think, okay, Doug, I've heard about an antichrist singular. We're going to talk about him next week. There's a real antichrist. We'll talk about him next week. Okay, I'm not going to tell you whose name is because I don't know. So don't, don't think you're coming and getting that name. But we'll talk about him next week in his role. But there's antichrist, Scripture says. There's those people who are anti-Jesus. And what they're going to do is not just say, look, I am God. They're going to say, I have a path to fulfillment. Follow me. They're going to try to lead you astray by taking you away from the truth that I have taught you. And I don't want anybody to go led astray. Now, as you think about that for a moment, Jesus says, listen, in the end times, there's going to be deception. There are going to be people who follow me, who love me and are my disciples. And there are going to be people who come and try to lead them astray. Get them to walk away from the truth that I have taught you. Now, here's a question I have for you. Why would people do that? Why would people who say they love Jesus allow themselves to be led astray? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, we're going to throw this on the screen. Listen to what Paul says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now think about that for a moment. Here's what Paul saying. Hey, Timothy, guess what? There's a season that's going to come that people don't want to hear truth. You know what people want, uh, uh, Timothy? They want shallow truth. They want truth that allows them to live the way they want to live and do the things they want to do and somehow feel good about themselves. They don't want to talk about perseverance. They don't want to talk about following me. They don't want to talk about surrender. They want to talk about how they can live the way they want to and be okay with God. There's a time coming, Timothy, where people, all they want is their ears tickled. Question, do we see that today? Do we see that today? Listen, I, I'm just going to tell you because I love you and you love me and we love each other, but we live in a world where there's a lot of people one inch years. We live in a world where people don't want to talk about sin. 
We don't want to talk about how we're wretched and pitiful sometimes. We don't want to talk about repentance. We don't want to talk about that this book is the absolute truth and the sole authority for how I want to live my life. What we want to talk about is relativism. What's truth for you may not be truth for me. What we want to talk about is, you know what? I know I'm not that bad. I'm, kind of, I'm better than Elijah. And so if I'm better than Elijah, then somehow I can get in, which I'm not. I'm just, you know what I'm saying, right? So I, somehow I can get in. See, that's what we want to talk about. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't talk about surrender. And you say, well, Doug, well, well, maybe you're just exact. I mean, maybe that's true in some parts of the world. That's not really true here. Well, just listen to this. I was doing some statistics and studying for this week. And, and about a little over two years ago, there was a poll done. 10,000 supposed Christians were polled. Now, you weren't polled. I wasn't polled. Who were the 10,000? I don't know. But it's a really good statistic. You ready? 10,000 Christians were polled. And 53%, 5,300 of them said this, that we believe that it, it's possible just to be good enough to get into heaven. 53%. Think about that. 53% said we think it's good. you can be good enough just to get into heaven. There's nothing about I'm a sinner. There was nothing about that I am lost and I, need, and I, can't, I can't save myself and I need something that I can't provide. There was none of that conversation. There wasn't a conversation about repentance. There wasn't a conversation about conviction or walking toward Christ and turning and surrender. There was none of that. It was 53% believe you can be good enough to get in. Do you think that's deception? It is, but it gets worse. Out of that 53%, 43% of the 53%, that'll mess your brain up, right? 43% out of 53% believe that all paths lead to one. You said, Doug, I can't believe someone would say that. Can I just tell you this? And you can ask my wife later that I'm not lying to you. There is a famous world-renowned pastor. If I told you his name, all of you would know who I'm talking about. A famous world-renowned pastor. And I showed Son of the YouTube video last night. We were laying in bed who basically said this. He talked about giving God the glory and giving God the credit. And he said, for some people that we all, he said, the Muslims and the Christians, we all worship the same God. They just refer to him as Allah and we refer to him as Jehovah. And she's like, that's wrong. I said, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. I mean, that's deception. And here's a man preaching to thousands and thousands of people going, there's, 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 you know, their faith leads to a God, their faith, but it's all the same God. Listen, here's my point. We live in a world where there's still deception, amen? And I'm telling you why there's deception in the end times, it's going to be way worse than what it is now. So the first sign he gives is that of deception. And then he gives a second sign of disputes. Look with me in chapter 24, verse 6. It says this, and you will hear, underline that word, of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. Now, the key word here is the word hear. In the Greek language, the word hear means it's a perpetual hearing. It doesn't mean you heard one time about a war or a rumor of war. It means that we have a continual hearing of disputes that are going in the world. A continuous hearing. It could be a physical combat. It could be economical combat. It could be a political combat. Now, let's just be honest. You can turn on the TV and see that all day long, couldn't you? Can you turn on your television and see political warfare all over the world? Let's be honest, even in our own country? Could you not turn the TV on and see economical warfare all across the world? Or, or, or combat, military combat all across the world? We see it all the time. I mean, think about it. The world we live in is inundated with disputes and war. 
1914 to 1918, anybody know what that was? World War I. You know what World War I was tagged as? The war to end all wars. That flopped, didn't it? Because in 1945, guess what we had? World War II. And then from 1965 to the present, we have had over 255 conflicts with other nations. We live in a world that's inundated with disputes. And not even counting that the Middle East is always a hotbed of conflict. But here's what Jesus says. There's going to be disputes, and you're going to be hearing about these over and over and over again. But listen to me. Don't be alarmed. Now, I'm just going to tell you, can I be a dad for a moment? I'm alarmed. Aren't you? Last Tuesday, I sent my middle son to Fort Benning, Georgia, to be in the military, the Army, for three years. And so I have intentionally not watched the news for the last five days. Because I watch the news, I'm reminded of the wars and the wretchedness of people and all this going on. And there's a part of me as a dad going, I'm alarmed. I don't want my kid in harm's way. Why I'm proud of him and know it's a noble thing. And so many people have done it as a dad. Can I just be selfish and say, I don't want him in that place. I don't want him in harm's way. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Now that's a bizarre thing to say, I think. Why not be alarmed, Jesus? When I hear of all this chaos going on, why would I not be alarmed? And here's what Jesus says, because this all has to happen because the end has not yet come. In other words, when you see all this chaos going on, when you see all these wars and these rumors of wars, and you keep hearing all this stuff, listen to me, he says, here's what's going on. My plan is still unfolding. So the more we hear and the more we see, the closer we are to the end. Are you with me on that? He's like, listen, guys, there's going to be deception, but there's also going to be disputes. And the more you hear and the more you see, all it should let you know, don't be alarmed. All it should let you know is the end is coming soon. That's good news, isn't it? It's great news. Here we go. The third one is this, disasters. Look with me in verse 7, the last verse 7 and 8. He says this, for nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now he says, there's going to be disasters that are going to happen. Yes, there's deception. Yes, yes, there's going to be disputes, but there's going to be disasters. There's going to be famine and there's going to be earthquakes. Now famine is talking about those who have nothing, that are starving. And earthquakes talking about the natural disasters. I'm a Missouri boy. And so I grew up in Missouri. And in Missouri, there's an interesting fault line. It's the New Madrid fault line. And they say that when the fault happens, that it will devastate the very eastern side of Missouri into Arkansas, Kentucky, and to Tennessee. And that it will have a ripple effect of 400 miles when it actually blows. Because it's been years since this thing has happened. Over the last five months, the New Madrid fault line has been active. And it's as recent as seven days ago, had a 3.0 earthquake in middle Missouri. And he says, listen, there's going to be a time come when there's going to be famine and there's going to be earthquake. There are going to be natural disasters. Yeah, there's deception. Yeah, there's going to be disputes, but there's going to be natural disasters. And you would say, well, Doug, well, how does that impact us? Well, think about this. Think about famine for a minute. According to world hunger, we live in a world that has a little over 7 billion people in it, right? A little over 7 billion. According to world hunger, 850 million to 1 billion are people that are starving and dying every day. We have almost 1 billion, almost 1 in 7 people are living in famine across our globe every day. Think about that. Look around the room. 1 in 7. Look around. Just look around. 
one in seven. So the seven of you, one of you are starving. The seven of you, one of you are starving. He said, you're going to see this everywhere. But knowing that, you're going to see earthquakes. According to AccuWeather, natural disasters are on the increase. Think about that. Natural disaster on the increase. From 1950 to 1960, there were 25 natural disasters. From 1980 to 2000, there were 150 natural disasters. From 2000 to present, over 375 natural disasters. Well, Doug, what does that matter? Well, please hear me. Uh, this is big. You gotta, don't miss this. When God created the world, he created a perfect world. Amen? And he created a perfect world with beauty in it. You ever seen a sunrise? You ever seen a sunset? You ever seen the stars? Do you know why they're beautiful? Because even creation was designed to declare the majesty and the beauty of our Father. Amen? Even that. And when sin came into the world, creation began to unravel. And sin came in and began to decay. And when he says that all these disasters are going to happen, it's as if Jesus is even saying this, that even creation is longing for me to come again. Even creation is restless for me to return because even creation is erupting with disasters. So there's going to be disasters. And then he goes to a fourth thing. He talks about persecution. The fourth sign is persecution. Look with me in verse 9. It says this, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He said, listen, there's going to be tribulation. You're going to be hated and you're going to be killed. There's going to be tribulation. You're going to go through persecution. People that are followers of me, there's going to be persecution. You know, I know we live in a world, and some of us are that kind of Christian where we want to go to heaven, but we don't want to face persecution. There was a song several years ago that David Crowder wrote, and I loved it. It's kind of a bizarre song. We'll never sing it here, but it was really funny. And it starts off like this. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And his point is talking about dying to self. We all want to get in. But we want to make the necessary sacrifice. And Jesus says when the end comes, listen, there's all these things going on, but don't miss this. There's going to be a time of persecution. Those that are here on this planet, when the end comes, that are Christians, you're going to be persecuted for your faith. And listen, you're going to be hated for your faith. And most importantly, listen to this, you're probably even going to be killed for your faith. Now, do we see this in the world today we live in? Do you know the last 10 years, 10,000 Christians have been killed in Indonesia. Last year alone, across 150 countries, over 4,000 Christians were killed for their faith. According to the Religious Liberty Commission, in 2014, there were 180 Christians killed a month for their faith. And according to that same commission, in 2018, 330 Christians were killed a month for their faith. Almost double in four years. We live in a world where people are killing Christians for their faith. And can I just say this? It's probably not too far away from us either, is it? People condemning us and hating us for our faith. But not only that, people actually, Christians are being hated for their faith all across the globe. Do you know that this poll was taken that 51% of all people in the world are unsympathetic to Christianity? And that in at least 16 countries, it's illegal to be a Christian. At least 16 countries, illegal to be a Christian. And as I thought about that, and as I thought these statistics, and I was reading them, the thing that came to mind is, is it possible that America's kind of moving that way as far as being unsympathetic to Christianity? Now, I'm not bashing our country. I'm just saying as believers, it's time maybe to stand up. 
We've got a world that continues to be unsympathetic. Let's just give you an example. Many of you today are, have on, or I had on earlier today, a shirt that says, love God and love people. That's the thing that drives us around here. Amen? Amen? That's the lens we do everything. We believe that life, Jesus said, life hinges on two things, loving God with everything and loving people. But loving people does not mean tolerating sin. Loving people does not mean not standing on the truth of the gospel. And so I'm telling you, I've been a pastor and in ministry many, many years, and I'm just going to tell you, I think the problem with a lot of churches in the world today is we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. And we've done a really, really bad job at times making people feel ostracized, unwanted, and unloved. I want this to be a church for people who've given up on church. I want this to be a church where people come who've given up on God. I want this to be a place where people are walking in rebellion so they can come and hear the truth of the gospel. And when God changes their heart, their behavior will follow. Amen? So we're going to love God and love people. But we still live in a world and even in the country that says, if you talk about this issue and you take a stand and said, God's word says this and people shouldn't live this way, you are committing a hate crime. There's a problem with that, right? There's a problem with that. And so for many Christians, we cower down instead of rising up. And he says, listen, when the end comes, man, you're going to face persecution. If you think it's bad now, it's going to be worse in the end. And then he goes to a fifth sign and it's this. It's apostasy. Apostasy. Basically, that means those who claim to be followers of Jesus and they walk away from the faith. Those who claim to be followers of Jesus and they walk away from the faith. Look with me in verse 10 and 11. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. He said, there are going to be those who are apostates, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, and they're going to walk away. He said, listen, first of all, they're going to fall away. They are going to completely abandon their faith. The faith they say they have, they're going to abandon it. And the second thing they're going to do, not only they're going to fall away, they're also, they're going to betray other believers. It's almost the idea that they are an enemy to those that are Christians now. They're not just going to like stab you in the back. They're against you. If you're a follower in the end times, those who've walked away and abandoned the faith, not only they walked away, but they're against you. They're the enemy of Christians. They're on the other side now. They're not only going to fall away, betray, but they're also going to hate Christians. And you would simply say this, well, Doug, how can someone who claims to be a follower of Christ truly abandon the faith, hate Christianity, and be an enemy to those that are Christians? Here's why. Because they never had a true conversion to begin with. John said it this way. There's those who claim to be among us, but they were never part of us. There's always been people in the world who are good pretenders. They acted like they were followers of Jesus. They wore the name of a Christian, but nothing inside their heart changed. And Johnny Hunt said many years ago at a conference I went to, if nothing changes in the heart, I wouldn't give a half a hallelujah for your salvation. So Jesus changes hearts, amen? And there's going to be a season where there are going to be those that are apostates. They're going to say they follow Jesus, and they're going to walk away. And they're going to hate people, and they're going to do all this stuff, and they're going to betray you. Why? Because they are pretenders. And then what Jesus says next is, what is the result of those who are apostates? Look at verse 12 and 13. He said this, here's the result of those that walk away and those false prophets. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here's what Jesus said, listen. Because of these apostates and these false teachers, we live in a world that's going to grow cold. What does that mean? It means this. We're going to live in a world that continually grows increasingly insensitive to the things of God. 
sin is going to dominate. And that which we think is detestable and an abomination to God is not only something that's tolerated, it's now something that's acceptable. Lawlessness is going to increase. And then he finishes with this phrase here. I love this. Verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here's what he means. The ones who endure are in opposition to those that fall away, right? You got those who say they're Christians, they fall away. They're apostates. And because of them talking about Jesus and now they've walked away, the world's going to grow cold. Sin's going to rise up. And the things that we think are detestable and an abomination to God are totally acceptable in the world. Now, can we see that in the world today? Can, come on. Can you see that in the world today? Were things that a decade, two decades, three decades ago that we thought were taboo, we don't talk about. It's totally heinous and it's sinful. Now we live in a world that says, hey, it's, 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 it's their choice. They get to determine how they identify. I mean, we live in a world that is totally reckless. Amen? Totally reckless. He says it's going to happen. But there are those of you who claim to be followers of Christ and you're going to stay the course. And those who endure are saved. Meaning... Those who endure, the endurance alone is the evidence of their salvation because they stayed with it. They stayed faithful. They didn't walk away. They didn't betray. They didn't hate. They continued to follow the Lord. And those who stayed and endured is sign and evidence that they belong to Christ. Then there's one more sign as we close. He's talked about deception, disputes, disasters, persecution, apostasy. And then in verse 14, he talks about a worldwide proclamation. Look at me in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the what? The what? The whole world as a testimony to all nations and then what? And then the end will come. Think about that. Six signs and here's the last one. Worldwide proclamation. We're living in that, aren't we? I was doing some research this week in Wycliffe said this, Wycliffe believes, that's one of these massive Bible translator producers of uh, different languages, they believe that 85% of the known world, 85% of every nationality in this world has a Bible translated into their language. 85%. Now, the number is still astronomical, the 15 that don't. But the point is this, we are growing and more and more and more. Like we had a missionary that was here last week that was part of Ethnos 360. And part of what they do is go into these regions where nobody's ever been before. And they learn the language and they learn the culture. And then they have scripture translated into their language. 85% of the world has one of these in their language. And when that happens, guess what? Then the end will come. So Jesus lays out for them six signs of how we know the end is coming. Now, I just have a real quick question for you. Do we see all six of these in the world we live in today? Come on, are you with me this morning? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. I don't want you going to sleep this morning. I mean, think about it. Do we see these things in the world we live today? Now, I know my mom and I have had this conversation. She's like, well, she calls me Douglas sometimes. Well, Douglas, don't you call me that. She said, well, Douglas... You could have said that in the 60s and the 70s, and true. But she'd also tell you this, you see it more now than you've ever seen it. Now, will it be worse when the end comes? Absolutely, but we're still seeing all this stuff. And you say, okay, Doug, well, what's the point for me today? I get this information, it's good information, the end's coming, here's the six signs. What in the world does it have to do with me? Well, here it is, you ready? Time is short. Time is short. Well, Doug, I don't know. Well, that's because you're not living urgently. 
Well, I got to show no, 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 no. There's something about us as believers. I mean, even the disciples in the first century believed it was going to happen immediately. And they lived that way. Well, how do you know? Read the book of Acts. Peter's in jail. He's kicked out of jail and he's given the commission, don't preach the gospel anymore. Guess what Peter does? He gets out of jail and as soon as he gets out, guess what he does? He begins to preach the gospel. Why? Because he believed with everything in him that quickly and soon Jesus was coming again and he wanted to live with urgency. Why is this important for us today? Here's why. Because time is short. Time is short. We're going to find out next week. We don't know the day or the hour. Even the Son of Man does not know the day or the hour. But time is short. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never, you've never in, in, thought about surrendering your life to him, here's the message for you. Time is short. There's going to come a moment. I don't know when it is. When he's going to come again as a righteous judge. And when he comes in that moment, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, you will stand in an eternal judgment. And if you've not made your decision for Christ before he comes, it will be too late. And if you don't know Christ today, time is short. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, listen to me, time is short. There are those who want to lead us astray. There are those who want us to focus solely on our own selfish and fleshly desires instead of focusing on the most important thing, and that's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we need to make sure that we're doing is we're sharing the gospel, that we are living urgently for him. We need to make the most of every moment we have. A few weeks ago, three to be exact, I stood in front of you with a card and we talked about our 261 challenge. And maybe you weren't here and didn't make it. There's cards up here. We'd love for you to make it today. But here was the challenge. On this side, we ask you to put your name and commit to the challenge. And on this side, we ask you to write down two names, two people. And for six weeks, we want you to go after them with one purpose. And the one purpose was to have a gospel conversation. At some point, to share Jesus with them, whether it be through a conversation, whether it be intentional sharing the gospel, inviting the church and talking about how Jesus changed your life, whatever it is. Two people, six weeks, one purpose. And there was over 70 of us that made that commitment. And so here's my question to the 70 of us. How well are we doing? Are we living it with urgency? Or as soon as I pull the card out, your first thought was, dang, I forgot. I got to get on that this week. You know why? Because we don't live with urgency. Listen, there are two people that you put on your card that may split hell wide open one day if you don't go share the gospel with them. That should disturb us. Amen? Amen? That should bother us. And so if you're a believer today, time is short, and I'm going to ask you to be urgent in sharing the gospel. Urgent in this 261 challenge. If you've never taken it at the invitation time, you can come fill out a card and leave it here. We would love for you to take this challenge. Now, here's my prayer for us today as we close. Here's my prayer. First of all, for those of you that don't know Christ as your Savior, would you trust him? Would you say, I don't know when the time's coming. I don't know what my life has for me, but today I want to surrender my life to Christ. And if you will do that in just a minute, I'm going to lead you through a prayer and I would love for you to write it on this card and turn in. We pass the offering a little bit later so I can encourage you. But if you are a follower of Jesus today, I want you to look at me. All followers of Jesus, just look at me for a moment. Here's the threefold challenge for you today. Number one, I'm praying that we would have greater focus. We live in a world of distractions, Amen. My kids got to go to that. My kids got to do this. I got to run here. I got to go to do that. At the end of the day, we spend all of our day running and doing 
and forgetting the most important thing possibly. That's a sharing the love of Christ with somebody. And my prayer for those of us that are believers that we today would say, Lord, maybe today I need greater focus. Today I need to schedule my day around presenting the gospel with someone. And God, I can move that meeting. God, I can change that time. God, this is a priority for me. I'm praying that God would give us greater focus. Second of all, I'm praying that God would give us courage. Can we be honest and say that when you share the gospel, it's a bit scary? You know why? Because you're sharing something that could change someone's eternity. You're not talking about changing their hair color. You're talking about changing the eternity. And we're a little scared that God would give us courage. And last of all, I'm praying that God would help us be not only more courageous, not only more uh, urgent in our going, that we would realize that time is short and that we would be urgent in going after people. God, help me be more focused. God, help me be more courageous. God, help me be more urgent. So if you're following Jesus today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do with this card. Just write your name on the front. And on the back, maybe one of those three things, you say, Doug, I need, to be, I need to be more focused. Would you pray for me? Doug, I need to have more courage. Would you pray for me? Doug, I need to be more urgent. Would you pray for me? I would love to pray with you this week. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed across the room. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you today because time is short. If you've never trusted him as your Savior today, here's what I'm going to encourage you with. Would you just simply say this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't fix this on my own. But I invite you to be Lord and master of my life. I surrender my life to you. And I ask you to forgive me my sins and come in. And if you've just did that, if you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says that when you called on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Just write your name down that card on the back. Say, today I gave my life to Christ. I want to celebrate with you. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, think about that card. Think about which one of these do I need to be more caught up in. Maybe I've lost my focus and I need more focus. Maybe I wrestle with being scared and fear and I need more courage. Maybe I let life distract me and I need to have a greater urgency. But hopefully for every believer in the room today, here's what we learned. Time is short. Jesus is coming again. And may those people we love we care about, we know that our neighbors, that our co-workers, may we not neglect sharing with them the only message that can change their eternity. So may we be more focused. May we be more urgent. And may we be strong and courageous in sharing our faith. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I pray that believers would make decisions today about how they need to step it up. That as we go through this passage, while it's great information, it's great to know, and we can even see some of these things in our life today. But Lord, at the end of the day, may we just be reminded that time is short. I've got to get out there. I've got to be urgent and focused and courageous at telling people about Jesus. May you pierce our hearts as believers today, Lord. And they got to pray for those who, who don't know you, that today they would surrender their life to you today. God, we need you in this hour. We need you in this place. And would you move in our hearts and our lives and may we be faithful to respond. For it's in your precious and wonderful son's name we pray. And everybody said amen. Let's all stand together. Maybe today you need to come to this altar and pray. This altar's open. Or maybe you just need to take that card as a believer and say, I need focus, I need urgency, I need courage. 
or maybe that person said yes to Christ and you want to mark that in the box, please do that. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. But most importantly, listen, church, we want to go and share the gospel with those because you know why? Time is short. So may you be faithful to respond to him as he leads you this morning.